Inequality is still deeply entrenched in Britain. There is a persistent gap in early literacy, the attainment gap at the end of secondary school has hardly shifted since 2014, and the better off are nearly 80% more likely to end up in a professional job than those from a working class background. You're listening to show 95 of the C-Suite podcast being produced in partnership with the UK's Ministry of Justice, where the topic of this episode is social mobility, specifically looking at creating opportunities in the workplace. My name is Russell Goldsmith, and this is the third year running that we've worked with the Ministry to focus on this important topic. My guests this time around are Margaret Gibson, OBE, Deputy Chief Executive of the EY Foundation, Pete Lawrence, OBE, Chief Executive of the Civil Service Commission, plus it's a welcome back to the podcast to Sean McNally, CBE, who was one of our guests last year when we discussed this issue. Uh, Since that time, Sean has started a new role within the Civil Service and is currently SRO for Brexit Planning and Preparedness at the Ministry of Justice. Uh, Now, later on in the show, we'll also hear from Dr. Helen Jenkins, Managing Partner at Economists Oxera, who I spoke to before this recording about a research project her company carried out on behalf of the Sutton Trust, a charity seeking to increase social mobility through educational opportunity. So lots to cover. Uh, Sean, let's come to you first. One year on since we last spoke on this podcast, can you give us an update on what's been achieved over the last 12 months with regards to the Ministry's Social Mobility Action Plan? Okay, thanks, Russ. And it's uh, hard to imagine that a year has passed since we uh, last spoke and discussed uh, social mobility. And we've tried within the uh, ministry to really build upon the progress and the foundations uh, that have been laid in previous years. We've now got our uh, three-year strategy, and we're looking at that and using it to think about how we engage with young people, how we engage with uh, schools, how people can see that there's an opportunity for them across the civil service. So we've engaged now with over 60,000 young people within uh, schools from lower socioeconomic backgrounds. But it's not just about encouraging people to see that there's an opportunity within the civil service for them. It's also enabling people who are in our organisation to be able to see that there's opportunities for them to um, progress, to see that the Ministry of Justice is an inclusive organisation that embraces talent and people aren't defined upon where they start off in life and are not limited um, by their social uh, background. And and really, uh, Bernadette Kelly has been absolutely amazing in the work that she's done to build uh, the social mobility cross-government network and that, that's been a fantastic thing to, uh, to see. And finally, to get some external accreditation for the work that we've done. We now, again, for the second year, are in the top 10 of the Employers Index. And it was fantastic to be able, on behalf of the Ministry, to pick up the trophy, recognising the Ministry of Justice as the organisation of the year at a recent Social Mobility Awards. Well, that, that's fantastic. And I want, I want to talk to you about the uh, the employer index a, a little later. But um, Margaret and, and Peter, before we find out about the work that you're both doing in this area, um, one of the things that we like to do is get an understanding of why this topic is so passionate uh, to, to our guests. So, um, Margaret, let, let's come to you first on that. Sure. Um, I think it's because I have lived experience. And so I, I grew up in an area of social housing. There's a lot of poverty around me. I grew up in a household that had lots of love but not very much money and um, my parents had not a lot of education but they encouraged my sister, brother and I to do best, the best we could at school. But what, what it meant was 
in our social sphere, I suppose, we didn't know anyone who had a professional background or who had a career. You know, you took a job and that's what you did. And so that lack of role model, that lack of aspiration, and I suppose that lack of self-confidence and awareness was quite startling at times when I look back now um, as, as an adult quite far into my career. And um, the young people I work with through the foundation, I see that they've still got those challenges. And Peter? Uh, similarly to Margaret, really, my background upbringing not one that people would usually associate, I don't think, with a senior civil servant. I didn't have the opportunity of sixth form and uh, university encouragement was to go out there and get a job and earn some money. Uh, talent, yeah, I agree with Margaret. Talent is all around us, uh, but the opportunity hasn't generally been. And I think that's where my background and experience is driving me in this current role to try and make a difference to people. You know, my aspiration when I joined the civil service 38 years ago was, was pretty low as an AO maybe get to HEO would be great. As I progressed, I could see actually what I had to offer was no different to anybody else. They just had some bits of paper with qualifications on. And so over time, I've got to the point where uh, my confidence has, has built. I'm able now to, from the, the role I'm doing, to try and make a difference to, to people like me uh, and to give them opportunities to, to come and join knowing uh, what it's really like. That's great. Well, well as I said, we'll, we'll come on to um, you know find out a little bit a bit more about what you guys are actually doing in this space. Um, sorry, Sean, you wanted to. Yeah, I was just going to say it is really inspiring to hear uh, Pete's and Margaret's uh, stories, and they resonate with mine. And I think one of the things that we as leaders really can do is share our stories so people can see that the opportunity exists for them. I totally agree with that. Um, you know. I think talent is universal, opportunity isn't. And as leaders, one of the, the biggest roles I think you have is to look behind you and to, to give not handouts, but hand ups. Um, and that's a really important part of leadership. Absolutely. And, and using that experience uh, through Civil Service Live, you know, I've, I've stood up uh, quite bravely, I felt, and talked about my own background uh, in a room full of, you know, lots of people. And I think that's the right thing to do. I think in terms of uh, that, it's also being honest about what were our own self-limiting beliefs. So over the background that I came from, I didn't see that there was opportunity uh, there. I had the talent, but it took somebody else to see something in me that I didn't actually see in myself and encourage me to lift my head up and to look out and beyond uh, my frame of reference. Uh, I think that whole concept of coaching or mentoring people is really important. Um, so I had the qualifications when I finished school to go to university, but I was too frightened. And um, I, w I ended up going to a polytechnic and doing a, a, a national diploma, which I have no regrets in doing. But I do feel that if at that point, if someone had coached me or encouraged me or shown me it was possible, but I was I, w I just didn't have that self-confidence to do it. Yeah, and even you know, six, seven years ago, my confidence, because I I felt haunted by not having a degree compared to my peers, uh, and having an executive coach uh, as part of a, a series of training that was happening in the Cabinet Office at the time, uh, that I've continued with, has, has made a massive difference. And so just having somebody that helps you to see uh, what you can offer is is brilliant. And I think for, um, for me, one of the key 
uh, components of the strategy within the Ministry of Justice is the catapult mentoring program. Uh, thus far, we've dealt, we've mentored over 530 uh, people from across the organisation. I would have to say it's probably one of the most diverse groups of people that we've uh, mentored. So it looks right across all of intersectionality and other issues. But the benefit of it is, is helping people to see that there is opportunity available for them. And I'd go further than what Margaret just said about coaching and mentoring. It's also about actively sponsoring people and being a voice for them until they're able to have their voice heard. Totally agree with that. I think I think that's so important. Um, you should be the voice for the people you look after in a room when they're not there. You should be talking about the, the great work they've done and you know the impact that they've had on your business. Well, okay. I mean, this is this is a, a, a fantastic start to this podcast. But I, I, I want to pick up on something that the Social Mobility Commission's State of the Nation report for 2019 stated. And, and I should point out that's where I took the intro to this podcast from. But it says that social mobility has stagnated over the last four years at virtually all stages from birth to work. It then continues that being born privileged in Britain means that you are likely to remain privileged and that being born disadvantaged means that you may have to overcome a series of barriers to ensure that your children are not stuck in that same trap. So, Sean, obviously we've just heard about you know some of the good work that, that you guys are doing and we're going to hear more from, from Margaret and Peter at the moment, but why are we still having this conversation? So I, I think there has to be a recognition that this is really hard. Um, it's breaking down some of the structures and some of the behaviours that have stood the test of, uh, of time. I think it is important for us as, as leaders to really embrace the com- conversation, to change people's hearts and minds, and through the actions and the strategic work that we do, um, to work with others. So working with uh, EY Foundation, uh, through the work that Pete's doing in the, uh, in the commission, we can start to change and move things forward. But it, it, is, going to take, um, it is going to take time. Um, the people that we are engaging with now are going to be the leaders of the future and they'll be the leaders of the organisation uh, long after I've gone. Um, so I think it's it's inter- it's going to intergenerational in terms of the, uh, the changes. But to, to my mind, I think there is now a real realisation that for organisations to be truly inclusive, and representative of society at every level, things need to uh, things need to change. Pete, yeah, no, I, I agree. And if I just think again about my own uh, experience with with my own son, then you know I've worked hard to try and give him a better start uh, than me, which uh, seems to have worked quite well. I'm pleased to say, uh, you know, and really what I do is try and do that for uh, other people. So I, you know, I do quite a lot of mentoring now of uh, younger people, both you know, in uh, and outside of the civil service. Poverty is, uh, there isn't a, a magic result for, or a magic answer how to how to solve it. Um, but I do think we have to go younger. And um, we're, you know, looking at what happens in primary schools and how you, you can actually demonstrate the opportunities that are available by using things like our, our opportunities to take people in like us. Who've, who've had similar backgrounds and, and just to talk about what our, our careers have been like, what opportunities we've had, what challenges we've faced. But actually, we 
we've almost missed the boat if we start talking about people just as they're joining the workforce. We actually have to go much younger. I think we have to embrace and look at it uh, both in terms of uh, younger, but also for the people who are in the organisation. Ministry of Justice employs around about 70,000 uh, people. There's over 400,000 across the civil service. There are people working in our organisations who have incredible talent and we need to harness and help them see and be able to release that. And that will bring you diversity of thought. It will drive better outcomes uh, and it will may enable us to be more efficient and more effective. But what we have to do by sharing our stories and one of the great things about uh, recognition and the uh, Employers Index and the Social Mobility Awards is you've got the opportunity to reach out and learn from other organisations uh, and to create a movement for change. I, I totally agree with that. I think the whole collaboration piece, it's, you become a, a part of almost a, a committed army of, of, of people who are all pointing in the same direction and recognising that, you know, for the people that maybe didn't have the confidence or the opportunity to, to go to university at a certain age, they can do it in their 30s and their 40s and their 50s. And allowing employees to do that sort of thing actually, again, builds towards a, a much more confident workforce. Um, so I talked about having the grades to go to university when I was younger. I went when I was 48. I went back to university and I still worked full time. And what that meant was I felt that helped my own children. Um, I, I became a, you know, I, this is possible. Um, and I think that's really important as well as your colleagues. You've also got to think about the, your immediate family and the community in which you live and work. There was um, one statistic in the report I wanted to pick up on, which was that even when those from working class backgrounds are successful in entering professional careers, they still earn on average 17% less than their more privileged colleagues. How is that the case, Pete? So in my experience, which is uh, limited to the civil service, I, I think there are two things there. One, I think it's less of an issue in the civil service within grade within a department. But of course, what historically I think has made the difference is those promotion trajectories where you know, those with a uh, more privileged or uh, more supportive background, you know, because of the uh, access to uh, education that's available, have that confidence to go forward. And think about the civil service, you know, the, the panels interviewing those people in the past would probably have had an inbuilt unconscious bias uh, and they'd be recruiting in their own image. And so, you know, that must have a, a large part to play with in that. But I believe that we now understand so much more about it and we're doing uh, a lot of things to counteract those uh, types of issues that, that we're facing and so you know including all the work that the three of us here are doing today. Margaret you were nodding along to a, a couple of bits that Pete was saying there. Yeah I think the unconscious bias things spot on there and I you know I think uh, we've become more conscious of it however I do think it also links back to having the self-confidence to ask for a pay rise or to challenge when you're offered a salary increase is you know if you if you can give examples of the really great work that you've been involved in um but there's still that whole, um, I, I think it's almost like a, a lack of, of self-confidence um, and that holds people back, holds organisations back too. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I would never uh, have gone to my manager and said, I deserve more money. <laughs> well, I can't recall on one occasion 
when I or I, when I've done that. Um, but I, I do think there are some real things that we can really start to address. So with uh, Pete and the Commission's uh, help is uh, blind uh, recruitment, so effectively taking away details about the individual uh, and just having a blind sift. Uh, diverse panels. I think one of the most scary things that I've done in recent times was to stand up and speak to a conference uh, of women. Uh, and that made me believe there was over 500 women in the room and one male, me. Uh, and the impact that that had on me when I stood there, think about the occasions where people are coming to interviews and they can't see somebody like themselves. What sort of disadvantage are they at when they're coming? That really is a scary, a scary <laughs> thought, Margaret. Sorry. You, can't, you can't be what you can't see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, uh, Peter, let's hear about some of the work um, that is happening then. So starting with the civil service itself, what's your vision for making it more inclusive and, and what plans do you currently have in place? So I think I just need to uh, be clear. So the Civil Service Commission is uh, an independent regulator. So we're, we're independent of the civil service uh, and government. Uh, and we regulate employment into the civil service. Uh, and there's legislation that says you can't be a civil servant unless you have been employed on merit following a fair and open competition. Now, of course, there are always exceptions uh, to these rules, uh, and that's true here. So what we're trying to do uh, in the Commission is to change the, the playing field uh, so that you know people with barriers uh, in their life that mean they wouldn't normally get over the hurdles that the civil service puts up uh, for recruitment. Um, and so we've developed a, an exception uh, to that legislative rule that says a department can come to us and say, could you accredit a programme that we can work with ex-offenders or veterans uh, to bring them into the civil service through a different route? Uh, and so we've, we've worked quite uh, hard on that and we've come up with something now where uh, departments can do exactly that. They can then employ uh, individuals for a period of up to two years on a fixed-term appointment. And, and that does two things. Uh, one, it gives uh, a real enhancement to someone's CV. Uh, and some of the schemes, uh, and our aim is that the majority of the schemes, then offer uh, proper employment. So full-time, long-term employment going forward. Uh, so people working you know, in that way get the experience, they understand how the process works, and so they can start to apply for uh, external vacancies uh, if they like. But also, we, we've allowed because what we don't want to do is, is pull the rug uh, from under these people after that or within that two year period. Uh, so, so, what we've got is another exception that allows somebody at the more junior grades to be made permanent from one of these schemes if after 12 months they've demonstrated that they can meet the normal. Uh, performance criteria uh, within the annual performance appraisals and, and that's working really well um, and, and so we've got a, a range of schemes now uh, there's at least a dozen uh, I think there's another couple in in train that we're looking at um, and they range for from ex-offenders uh, to veterans people leaving care people with uh, down syndrome autism you know where, where people have a barrier uh, to, to the normal processes uh, and that's going really really well and you know we've got the ex-offender scheme was the first one uh, that we ran and that started in 2017 late 17 
by March this year, there were 19 uh, people on that scheme. We're now 25. There's at least another dozen vacancies we're working with. By Christmas, hopefully 40. Uh, and that's just one uh, scheme across uh, all departments. Um, so we're now trying to expand that nationally from, from the Northwest start uh, and develop these other programs. That's great. Um, Sean, can you give any sort of first-hand experience from working within a department? Sure. I, I can say um, we have, um, within uh, when I was chief executive of the Legal Aid Agency, um, we employed uh, an ex-offender um, within the team. I'm not going to say what location it wouldn't be right to um, to do so. But what I would say is that person has been absolutely brilliant, uh, committed, uh, passionate about the work, they made one mistake in their life. They shouldn't be defined by it. And I think there is going to be a challenge because people believe that behaviour begets behaviour. And and I actually believe that if somebody has recognised that a mistake has been made uh, and is committed and committed to changing their life, then with support, we can make a real difference. Uh, and I I would say... That, that person is less risky to the organisation because we know and they know, but people around them don't know. So the team does know, not know the route by which this person came into uh, the organisation. Uh, and it's right that that should be, uh, should be the case. Is it, is it a case of, you know, we've got a second chance now, we can't, you know, we have to take you know, full advantage uh, oh, of this. Absolutely. Um, I, you know, I am just uh, humbled by the stories that I hear about how this person is really making a positive impact within the organisation. Uh, first class, brilliant. Uh, a great person who I would move heaven and earth to uh, retain um, within the team. And you hear so many stories of, of others in the work, for example, that Timpsons are doing. And, and I think for, for us and for uh, organisations and us as leaders, uh, we have to embrace uh, the opportunities of bringing talented people in uh, who perhaps, because of life choices at a particular point in time, as I say, made a mistake. They don't need to be defined by it. Sure. And um, Margaret, how about the, the work that you're doing at uh, EY Foundation? Well, basically, we work with a lot of schools where there's a very high percentage of young people on free school meals. And because that's an indicator of, of living in, in poverty, basically. And again, that, that sort of um, is mirrored in the lack of social capital that that young person may have. So we do target, we do a lot of employability workshops across the country where we will take um, various um, employer partners into the schools with us. They will talk about the roles that may be available in their workplace. They will also talk about their career journeys. And then we also run uh, intensive programmes over the summer period where it is paid for uh, work experience where we cover things like lunches and um, travel expenses as well because a lot of internships are not available to young people from poverty because they don't take them up because they can't afford to. It's something as simple as I can't afford to get to the office. I don't have money to buy a, an outfit to wear in the office. And these are the kind of small barriers that actually can, can make it even more difficult for young people to get involved. And, and I would just like to pay um, tribute to the work that uh, Margaret and the Foundation have done. 
I've seen firsthand a cohort of people who have come in through the programme and if you see how they are at the beginning and contrast that with how they are at the end of the programme to see how their confidence has grown, to see how they can uh, identify and recognise that there is a place and they can achieve uh, more than what they believed at the beginning of the programme. It is a trans- it's transformational. I think the other, I suppose this might seem a bit controversial, but we also shouldn't assume that people in power have the answers. Maybe we need to ask young people what kind of things they would like to have. So, for instance, even on this podcast, it might have been good to have a young person. Um, and that's something I think employers are starting to understand a bit more, the whole concept of co-design and you know recruitment policies and training programmes actually ask the people that it, that it affects to be involved at the start to help create it. That's a uh, good idea for the next one, yeah. uh, Pete. <laughs> Just picking up on the point Sean was making then, the reference to Timpsons. I mean, we, we've worked uh, in the programme I'm leading uh, with Timpsons a bit to try and understand how they run their uh, scheme where they employ ex-offenders, which they've been doing for 17 years. Two things really that come out of that for us. One is they still don't see that as a mainstream part of their recruitment. It's done separately because it's quite different. Now, civil service needs to avoid uh, getting that into a mainstream uh, position too quickly. Um, The other thing is about the academy, and it sort of links to the point Margaret's just making about engagement of uh, the people we're trying to to support, um, is about working in prisons, um, maybe developing a foundation to teach civil service skills in a prison to try, you know, to meet the demands of the civil service in the locality of that uh, prison or group of uh, prisons. Margaret, why do you think the, the programmes that you do work so so well? What is it that you're doing to build that aspiration and attraction? I think it's a combination of things. Um, a, allowing young people to meet other young people from different um, different school backgrounds, but very they, they bond because they, they recognise their... their social backgrounds very similar so they support each other in in that concept we also put them through a chartered management institute qualification which helps them to stand out a little bit from other qualifications they may get through school Um, every day we bring in uh, someone from a different working sector to speak to them to talk about the world of work that they've they've got but I think probably the most crucial thing um, apart from the work experience element that they also get given is they're allocated a mentor And that person basically works with them for a year and they can help just be a a listening ear, but also just to be very practical. Things like helping to put a CV together, help them to put a job application or write a personal statement for university. That might be the only person that really focuses on the needs of that young person. And it's a safe place for that young person to talk to someone that really deeply cares about them. Is the uh, mentoring programme something that, that you guys focus on as well, Sean? Uh, absolutely, but we also um, work with uh, Mosaic as well in terms of uh, mentoring and uh, the activity that we um, the un- undertake. Uh, there's people who have been involved in the school's outreach programme. We've got over uh, 900 ambassadors across uh, the department and they give of their time. And it may be on school visits, it may be on uh, career fairs, it may be on helping people with their personal statements or job applications. Yeah, and I think that's true across a number of the schemes that 
uh, we've accredited. So Department for Work and Pensions, for example, they run a, an admin assist uh, officer uh, social mobility scheme. And part of that is about having uh, a qualification at the end of it. Now, you know, that's really important for people where they've, you know, probably not done the right things at school, you know, got distracted, realised actually it's too late when they're about to do the exams that they should have taken a different approach. But this, you know, helps to reset that. Because, of course, you know, very often employers will look at the most recent qualification, you know, and particularly in the future, what they want is something that is relevant to the work they want to do. Sean, you wanted to add something there? Yeah, so when we're talking about um, mentors, both in terms of schools, um, but there is also work that we're doing um, with the uh, universities, and we've partnered with uh, universities to help and support uh, people in terms of Justice Origins and other work that we are are doing, um, and internship programmes that we offer uh, for people within the Ministry of Justice. That's great. Well, um, I want to take a break just very briefly from our discussion for the moment. Um, as I mentioned in my intro, I previously met up with Dr. Helen Jenkins, managing partner at uh, The Economist's Oxera, who recently carried out some research on behalf of the Sutton Trust, a charity seeking to increase social mobility through educational opportunity. And I started by asking Helen if she could share what the research told us about the economic benefits of social mobility. Uh, the work that we did with Sutton Trust was targeted at getting an estimate of what the benefits to society more broadly are of social mobility. I think we all understand that better social mobility has some intrinsic positive value to ensure that people have opportunities and can make the most of those through their lives. But the research that we did was showing that Improving social mobility is more than just a matter of social justice. Creating the opportunity for talent across the social spectrum to be recognised, developed and utilised can improve productivity for an economy as a whole. And this is because in a society where education and employment opportunities are largely determined by an individual's family background rather than their actual skills and talents means that you don't get the best available people matched to those opportunities. And if people aren't well matched to the jobs and where they can best use their talents, we're missing out as, as an economy and as a society because those benefits, while they may show up in GDP and in terms of that form of, of benefit. There are also other benefits in terms of social capital, you know, who's creating art, who's, who's got access to being um, in television, all of these aspects of our social capital, as well as um, the welfare of the economy overall. So can you go into a bit more detail on, on some of the numbers from the research? So the UK doesn't rank very well in terms of its social mobility. The UK mobility pay gap, this is drawn from data in the last decade, suggests that an individual with a tertiary educated father earns 63% more on average than someone whose father did not complete uh, secondary school. So we have quite a significant social mobility gap in the UK. And what we did was say, if we managed to move the UK from that position to 
the average for Western Europe. So not not to the best performing countries, which are the Scandinavian countries, but just to the the Western uh, Europe average, then we would expect to see an increase in gross domestic product of around 2% uh, through better job matching. Now, that's equivalent to around £40 billion per year in today's prices. And if we manage to improve it even further, being able to access some of the good outcomes of the Nordic countries as well, then you could easily imagine even more substantial increases of around £50 billion a year. Now, this change would not be instant. It takes time for policies that increase social mobility to translate into these improvements. But once achieved, these are permanent productivity benefits for the society overall. That's excellent. And, And so if our listeners want to find out more detailed information, where's the best place for them to go? Just head to our website, um, www.oxira.com, and search for the work we did with Sutton Trust. Margaret, what were your thoughts on what Helen just had to say there? Um, I related to it very well, and I suppose I I reflect back to, I grew up in the punk era, and um, I I was very fortunate that a lot of the people around me got involved uh, through writing fanzines, uh, setting up independent record businesses, um, becoming musicians and journalists and that came from a grassroots level of community spirit where you know you would go out three or four times a week to support your friend's band or you would buy their fanzine or you know you would just encourage people to write reviews for concerts etc and that whole concept of art um, for social change I, I think that really was very empowering for, for people of my generation and, you know, the the whole concept of, um, I suppose, good mental health and living a happier life and contributing, I probably, at the age of 15, 16, didn't think that art was for me. I thought it was probably for folk that came from nicer houses and had, you know, better lives. But actually, looking back and reflecting now, I realised that the art that was being created around me was, yes, very accessible to me because it was cheap, but actually it was incredibly valuable in terms of empowering the people that got involved in it. And um, I suppose I have a sense of political frustration with a small p that that young people are perhaps being held back in some way to, to do that, to push that forward, and I don't know what the answer is. Uh, Sean? Yeah, so I I think, and I'd like to move, so we talk about talent, but I'd rather talk about talents that people have. And I think there is a challenge for society in terms of what does society say about what is going to be valued in terms of if somebody moves through their life and through their career. And I think there are so many talented people out there that can go into art, that can go into uh, media, that can go into you know, sort of movie business, etc., etc., who have got so much to offer. And I think there is a challenge for us as societies to say we actually value people for the talents that they have. Pete? Well, I, I think what Helen was saying uh, absolutely sort of reflects my own situation that I described earlier. Um, and just picking up on uh, something that Margaret said there around the art, interesting, I was uh, at an event last week uh, for some care leavers on a scheme. There are 60 uh, people on this scheme that had uh, left care, working across government. And one of the ways that the stories that they were telling was being captured 
was by some you know art body drawing little pictures on the wall in, in a you know in a way that's a storyboard type of thing and you could see that actually that was really resonating with the individuals in the room now you know in in my youth i wouldn't have thought about art in that way at all you know similarly to uh, what margaret was describing uh, and i think it's really important that we we do uh, utilize those things and as sean says the whole you know, the talents that people have rather than the talented people uh, is really important uh, and again as we we sort of move forward in technology you know I, i'm just looking at the moment to try and uh, recruit somebody into my organization that can help us to digitize some of the activities uh, without us going out to a contractor and there'll be lots of you know uh, people out there that can come in as a first type of role in the civil service uh, and into the commission and help us to do that work in a different way that we wouldn't even have thought about previously. I think one of the frustrations I have is that um, sometimes we'll bring in a policy which is really good and it, it immediately can have a positive impact on the communities that need it most. And then we may well have a change of government and suddenly that policy doesn't fit with what that government you know, is pushing forward. And um, that frustrates me because, you know, it's almost like we've funded something for three years. We're just starting to, to see the positive impact that it has and it's pulled or it's changed in a way that the, the impact is dissipated. Um, so that's a frustration I have. And I, I can see that we keep repeating it. We don't seem to learn from the history of actually this was a good piece of work. We've got so much better at measuring things like impact and, and you know, um, rather than just numbers, we're actually better at impact, you know, looking at the impact it's having on communities and on individuals. And we just have to get brighter, I think, and braver at continuing with policies that work and investing in them. OK, um, I want to pick up on uh, what... Uh Sean touched on earlier, which was the Social Mobility Employer Index um, from the Social Mobility Foundation. Um, we've recently seen the uh, the latest release of that, obviously. For those unaware of the index, it ranks the UK's employers on the actions they are taking to ensure they are open to accessing and progressing talent from all backgrounds and uh, highlights the employers doing the most to change the way they find, recruit and progress talented employees from different social class backgrounds. Uh, for 2019's list, PwC came top, um, but as uh, Sean alluded to uh, earlier, in seventh place is the uh, Ministry of Justice, the highest ranked uh, government department. Uh, so yeah, congratulations again on that achievement Sean um you're clearly doing something right yeah uh, it, it's it's great to get that recognition um but I think it's important to say that we're not complacent and there's more to um to be done I think what it recognizes is the strategic approach that we've taken as a uh, as an organization but more important than that uh, a strategy or a document is just words on a page it's when you change those words into actions and activities and outcomes and there has been a focus on what uh, we can do and what we've done. Uh, it identified gaps. It identified gaps in terms of our data. And we've taken steps recently to plug that those gaps. Um, so we will have a better and richer uh, data for, on uh, social economic background measures and how people progress and go through um, the department and the organisation. But I, I think for me, what it shows is the incredible work that's been done by the team. Uh, it shows that there is a, um, and recognition, that there is a willingness 
um, to um, to change. And I think you know, for for me, we will uh, take risks and make take opportunities. Uh, but what is also really encouraging to see is an increase in the number of other civil service departments that are now appearing in that index. And I think by learning from PwC and others, um, we can collectively move things on. And thinking about the conversation that we had earlier about why is it that it seems as though it's uh, stagnated, I think that events such as, as this, the conversations that we're having, and using the data, so what gets measured gets done, uh, that will provide an impetus and a catalyst to take us on to the next level. I think it's all uh, really important. And if we just sort of look back over how things have changed, you know, uh, this is a, another focus uh, that, that's right to be taking, but it does take time. You know, the, when you look at the, the gender balance issue, it took about a decade to make the, the work there happen. You know, at the moment, there's quite a lot of work been happening over recent years around uh, BAME and disabled uh, recruits into the civil service. Again, things are improving slowly, uh, and so yeah, that's still on that upward trajectory. And and the same with the social mobility. And the more of these uh, initiatives that we can come up with that are meaningful things, not not just initiatives for the sake of it, which which can happen. We need to avoid that. Uh, the more of these things we can do, actually, the the better. Margaret, is the the index something that that you look at? Uh, yeah, a lot of the people that we work with uh, in partnership are, are on the, the index and uh, I think that's, that's for us, fantastic because it's about that collaboration of the committed and the willing. Um, so that's people who are willing to to take a risk or to, to just be a bit more creative around the whole concept of what their pipeline for talent is like. I, I think uh, it encourages us to be bold. Uh, in terms of our aspirations and um, by setting out uh, and by having it set out within a strategy to say that's the direction of travel then all of the decisions that are taken on that journey can be focused on uh, the really the, the end game which for me and for us as leaders I think should be to ensure that uh, our organisations are representative of society at every level that we have diversity of background, we have diversity of thought, and then we achieve better outcomes. And, and it's great for uh, me as, as the, the regulator to be able to push departments down the, exactly those routes that Sean describes. Well, Pete, um, just sticking with you for a second, what, what are you doing to support um, the civil service to bring in people who may not necessarily have considered uh, the civil service as, as a career option? Uh, so, so there are a couple of things, really. I mean, it's about... First of all, helping everybody to understand uh, the situation. So you know, each of the, the schemes I've talked about are generally working with an external partner uh, to identify candidates to you know, get them through the process. Uh, and so we need to be clear about you know, what types of things uh, we'll support in the commission. Departments need to be clear about the, the range of things that are offered there, that the partners are working really hard. We have the the advantage, and as I was saying, I was at this uh, care leave event uh, last week, and you know, to see the commitment and the enthusiasm that uh, Sean talked about with his example earlier, you know, seeing that in a whole room of sixty people, you know, if you take that and sell that across the rest of the civil service, that's great. Uh, and then the other thing in terms of the candidates is to help them understand 
what the civil service is. You know, lots of people think about the civil service as, you know, people in Whitehall because that's how it's, you know, portrayed uh, in the media very often. Or they'll they'll know about the job centre or the tax man. Uh, and that's that's the sort of extent of what they see uh, and maybe the court service. But of course, the civil service is so much more. You, you know, you might be a, a deckhand on a Coast Guard boat off the coast of Scotland. You might be uh, a meat hygiene inspector in an abattoir. You might be measuring fields or uh, looking at cows on a farm for DEFRA, taking water samples for environment agency. There are so many things, uh, and we regulate you know, 72 different uh, civil service bodies uh, in the Commission. Excellent. Um, okay, l- listen, we're, we're, we're almost out of time on this episode. I'm just keen to go around the table um, once more and get each of your thoughts on um, what you think we can achieve over the next 12 months. In fact, Peter, let's, let's stick with you on this one. Uh, so for me, I think, take, take account of the fact that in 2018-19, there were 55,000 appointments into the civil service uh, through external recruitment. If we could get just 1% of those given to people you know, through some of these schemes as a starter, that would give us an excellent base on which to, to build and spread the message, really. Um, Sean? Um, so for me, I think it's building upon uh, the foundations that have uh, that have been laid. Um, I really want to see us maximise the opportunities for collaboration and, um, and learning. I want us to see and to really challenge ourselves about uh, recruitment pathways and pathways when people are in the organisation. And I also want us to make use and best use of the data that we have to uh, really be able to come back here, maybe in a, uh, in a year's time, um, uh, with a young person uh, who is on the, uh, the panel, and to uh, be able to say and to uh, recognise the benefit and the good outcomes that have been done. But for me, it is... If one person tells a story about how they have been able to raise their head to realise an opportunity uh, and their potential that they didn't think before, that that is um, would be fantastic. Tremendous. Uh, Margaret, last word with you on this one. Um, we would like to continue to work with a whole range of different employers and by doing so we hope that they can embrace the opportunity of, of building a more diverse workforce with the young people that we work with. They are fantastic. Sean, if listeners um, want to find out more information from you on the Social Mobility Action Plan, where's the uh, best place for them to go? So I, I would say uh, go to gov.uk, um, type in uh, social mobility into the search engine and they'll find a rich uh, mix of material and other further uh, reference points. Excellent. Well, thanks to all three of you for taking the time to chat to us today. So Margaret Gibson, OBE, Pete Lawrence, OBE, and Sean McNally, CBE. Uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts on this important topic of social mobility and creating opportunities in the workplace. If you'd like to contribute to the discussion, you can do that on our Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, or Twitter feeds, which are all linked from the top of our website at csuitepodcast.com, where you'll also find all previous shows and supporting show notes, plus links to where you can subscribe for automatic downloads of each episode via your 
your favourite podcast app. And if you've liked what you've heard, please do give us a positive rating and review. Just a reminder of the URL that uh, Sean mentioned. So if you want to find out more information about a social mobility action plan from the Ministry of Justice, uh, just go to gov.uk and uh, use the search tool and search for State of the Nation and Social Mobility and you should find all the information that you need. Uh, If you'd like to get in touch with this show, uh, you can do that via our contact form at csweetpodcast.com or you can reach me via Twitter using at Ross Goldsmith or find me on LinkedIn. But for now, thanks for listening and goodbye.